I'm Caleb Kirchner. I have been going to Broadway for a long time since I was a little kid. Um, I'm a special education teacher at Cumberland Trace Elementary School. I work uh, some with the youth here at Broadway and uh, the creator of The Haven. But the Haven is uh, Broadway's special needs ministry. So uh, it was created out of kind of a brainchild of wanting a place for parents of kids with special needs and the kids to come and be like welcome and have their spot um, because oftentimes the, that demographic gets put into other people's uh, corners or spots and forced to fit the mold or whatever it may be. My hope was to kind of begin to rebuild that and, and fix the bridge um, between those two because I, that, those are two different realms that I value uh, Broadway and uh, families with kids with special needs just because I know how awesome both of those things are. So I wanted to kind of bridge the gap and so thus the Haven was born. Um, and its mission, we set out to make faith accessible uh, to those uh, families of kids with special needs uh, by creating just encounters with God and people that care about them um, in a safe community, in a space, uh, safe space for them to be, uh, which uh, became the Haven. So the, it's launching again on September 11th, and it'll be on Sunday afternoons from 4 to 530. Uh, so the parents will have their space to go be in their small group and we'll... Uh, do some programming with the kids with the game and the lesson and crafts and games and activities and all that. They just enjoyed being in a place where they could be like real and be in those experiences that they have with their children that are challenging or isolating or just difficult uh, with other people who get it. Um, because a lot of times you see they're talking to parents who, who don't necessarily get to the full extent what they're going through or the challenges that may be presented. And so to have a space a safe space where their kids are cared about and they can just be a parent and be in a, or be a, be a person, be their own person um, in a safe space with people who get it was just really valuable for them and something that they, they don't have everywhere. So it was awesome to get to see that feedback. I think the kids had a good time. There were several stories where they were like, there was doctor's appointments or changes in schedules or whatever and they couldn't come and they were super bummed. Um, and so were their buddies on this end of it. So it was it was really refreshing and to see them get to just be themselves and and interact with the lesson about God and just get to be with uh, their partners was great to create sort of like a positive connection with church where it may not always be the case um, for them. And it started uh, on a, a Broadway youth mission trip to uh, Chattanooga and we worked at, uh, we volunteered at a special needs daycare. And so there it was like, like I, I love kids, I love all kids still to this day and loved kids before that. But to see those kids, and I mean, this was just a, a pocket of kids with special needs in Chattanooga, in the middle of nowhere, unrelated to where I am, but to see them just like go about their routines. And like, I remember playing basketball in a little tight school with this little kid with Down syndrome. And I was like, these, these kids, they want all the same things that like typical kids want. And they want all the same things that you and I want. That it's just like, it just looks different. And so to me, that kind of opened my heart and was like, wow, this is something that's meaningful and valuable and like a lifelong pursuit um, that it could bring. And so thus, special ed was the easiest avenue and then the Haven has kind of stemmed off of that as um, Broadway letting me live into my calling and to equipping me to do that, to do that um, in a church setting as well as in the education setting. I think uh, it's really important for all people to be welcome here because Everybody, no matter how they express it or how they go about it, wants a place to belong, right? Like they want somewhere that's theirs and somewhere that they can be 
a contributing member of and involved and connected and people know that they can show up and people care about them period that's all that that's all there is to it and so to continue to push um, the edges of what that looks like and who that includes and what it lo what it looks like um, is is super important and to bring more people into the fold of the awesome stuff we have going on here at Broadway is just uh, critically important to our lives together. We, uh, today we are beginning a series called This Is My Story, and I, we appreciate Caleb, who's right here. Um, not to call you out, Caleb, but hey, there's Caleb. Uh, appreciate Caleb telling his story, which was a great way for us to kick off this series because what we're looking to do is tell our story and the story of Scripture and put those together as we think about our stories of church moving forward. These are exciting days as we dream together what it might look like to embody this vision that we would be, of, 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 in part, a, a, if nothing else, a contagious community of hospitality that represents the love of Jesus in the world. And uh, what thrills me about Caleb's story is, you know, there's a kid that grew up in our ministry and got that message, uh, and especially uh, the, the piece about always continuing to have to go to the margin, to the, to the edge, and bring people, extend what that means, who's included. And, and what we've seen as we've done that in our life together over, you know, the 15 years I've been here, is that as we've done that, it changes the whole. Like, that we need that. Like, this is, this is not peripheral, peripheral to the, the thing. It is at the heart of the thing. And so, for example, our recovery ministry, we had, you know, the people that met in the, the, the room on Sunday nights to talk about their addictions, and it turns out over 15 years, we all learned about our addictions. It, it transformed us. As we've gone to different parts of our community, to, to the foundry, and learned about the needs of people on the west end of town, we've learned about the needs of the whole. It just goes on and on. There's something to this, because it's at the heart of the gospel. This risk of relationship and this stretch is part, not part, but really at the heart of the gospel. Ernest Hemingway wrote the short story, The Capital of the World, about a teenage son who ran away to Madrid to be a matador. And if you've read Hemingway, he loves Spain, he loves matadors, it's kind of his shtick. Uh, and so the son's name was Paco, which was a very common name in Spain at the time. And when the son runs off, eventually the dad goes to find him. And he puts an ad in the, the Madrid newspaper that says this, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the Madrid newspaper office tomorrow at noon. All is forgiven. I love you. Do you know the sort of punchline to the story? The next day, 800 Pacos showed up. And in that story, we discover the heart of the gospel, which is inherently relational. There is no way out that isn't a relational way out. And God has shown us that, demonstrated that to us in Christ. Something so good, so compelling, we would say so contagious, and yet seemingly so simple. God has taken the first step, the, the, the lion's share step toward us. And the risk of that relationship is the heart of the gospel. And our vision as a church starts here. As you look at the words on the, our back wall, uh, you see our mission statement, and our vision is what will happen if we do that, if we invite, if we grow, if we serve. And what will happen if we embody this 
this ethic of Jesus is that we would be a contagious community of hospitality where all people are welcome into a family of faith. And, and it reminds us that God is the one that takes the initiative with grace, and so then so do we. It is just as simple as that. God calls the church in every time and place to extend his invitation of his great love for all, all people. Our welcome embodies God's welcome. When we invite people to sing a song or have a cup of coffee or take communion, we're really inviting people to sit at the table with Jesus and discover who they are, to hear his call uh, to, to follow him and to live a different life into a community of healing and forgiveness and into a reordering of all of their relationships to ultimately experience the fullness of God in human form here in human community. That's the starting point of the gospel. And it starts really as we get in touch with the fact that God risked all of that for me. That's, that's the core of this, is that all of that is, is about me. The gospel message of God's radical inclusion is no more radical or no less radical than his decision to come find you and to put out the ad in the paper and to speak forgiveness and love over you. Now, what we find in the story of Jesus today, as we think about this is our story, why we picked this story is because that gets us into more trouble than we might think. The gospel message of God's radical inclusion is so upsetting to the social systems of any time that we'll, it will always get us into trouble. In fact, if we're not feeling the tension of that, we're probably not doing it right. And maybe nowhere is that more true than the calling of Levi in the story of Jesus. Jesus issues this radical call, come follow me. It is a call from one life to another. The change doesn't happen later, it doesn't happen, it happens in a sense in that moment. Pick up and follow. And, um, and, and the radical call is, is responded to in a radical response. G Levi gets up from a tax collector's booth and follows. The, the get up word is the same word that is used when people are healed, like a paralyzed person gets up and Jesus heals them. It's something new, something transformative. And then the next thing that happens is so radical that it stirs everybody up. They have lunch. Jesus goes to eat with them, and it just causes all kinds of trouble. In fact, what happens is Levi throws a banquet in Jesus' honor and invites more tax collectors and others, Luke says. He uses the term others. We're going to find that the religious leaders use a different term in a second. But uh, more tax collectors and others are there at the dinner. The religious folks actually say uh, that this is not okay. They come to Jesus and say, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? Now, what we need to know about this story, we've got to kind of think about the tax collector thing for a second, but we also need to think about their language. Because what we hear there in that, that term sinner is a technical term. It is a term of people who have been actively pushed out of the synagogue. So the righteous people are the people who are on the inside, and the sinners are the people who have been asked to leave. And tax collectors uh, were, well, they were pretty easy to exclude. If you're going to pick somebody who needs to get their act together, it's these guys. And so what they've done is they've, uh, of course, everybody's a sinner, but, but the sinner category is the people who need to find, uh, who, who have been kicked out, who have been excluded and put, in, put into a category about being excluded and creating a way in which that that is handled. 
tax collectors were an easy group to hate. They were foreigners, so they were not from around here. And they had the role in the culture of taking up the, the taxes, but were free to do that however they wanted to. And so there was a real uh, opportunity for corruption. Levi, we learn, is wealthy. He has wealthy friends. And they've all gotten wealthy on, on the backs of the poor. And so here's the deal. Some people's sins are being, are, are, everybody's got sin. Every, some people's sins are going to need to be dealt with severely. And that's the, the thinking of the religious leaders. They're going to need to deal with this by excluding these folks. And that's the real issue here. Jesus invites people back in that have been invited out. The tension in the story is not a matter of whether people need healing or forgiveness. The question is, how is that going to happen in people's lives when there's some real issues to deal with? How is that healing going to happen? And Jesus says, okay, we're going to go to them. It's just that simple. We're going to, here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to go actively go to them, and we're going to work it out there. In this risk of relationship, we discover the heart of the gospel. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, he says, but the sick. It's not the righteous that need repentance, but sinners. And so Jesus makes his intention clear. If you're going to go to the righteous group, the technical term of the people who are on the inside, or the sinners, who are the t- is the technical term for the people who are on the outside, this is where I'm going to spend my time. And that seems like it should be a no-brainer, Right? It seems like it should make sense that these are the folks who need the attention, need the relationship. So if some deal with issues through radical exclusion, Jesus is going to deal with issues through radical inclusion. His way is a way of salvation by association, not separation. Jesus makes clear his mode of operation when it comes to their categories. But what isn't clear in the story is where we fit. Where do the people fit into those categories? Now, it's a good thing we don't do this today, right? It's a good thing that we don't put people in categories and then figure out how to deal with them. We do that, right? Obviously, we do this. Uh, And I think Jesus is calling that into question. The religious leaders have created a way to designate people's status. Righteous people over here, sinners over here. They have institutionalized their categories. They've built systems around them. They have said that they are, of course, on the side of the righteous. Tends to work out that way. And those other people are, of course, wrong. I don't think maybe Jesus is playing with them a little bit. Do you? Kind of poking at them a little bit. Why did Jesus pick this guy of all people? I think Jesus is trying to make a point. He's sort of saying to them, if you have it all together, then I'm going to go over to these guys who know they don't. Because Jesus envisions a community in which people know their need for God. And in the risk of that relationship, we discover the heart of the gospel. Jesus does it by moving past the categories, by rehumanizing the relationships. And we see this most clearly in the opening of this story. What we all read together, that we just kind of pushed right through that we wouldn't have caught, but I want to come back to. It is the setup of the story. In Luke 5, 27, we read this. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Now, the word that Jesus uses, therefore, to see or where he saw Levi is not the right word. It's not the, the, the word that you would usually 
used to say, okay, he saw some guy. It wasn't that he just looked over and glanced and there he was. Luke uses a different word, and in that word we get the clue for the rest of the whole, the whole thing, for what Jesus is actually doing here. Luke says that, that Jesus saw him, or he noticed him. But the word there is like a word we don't use anymore. There is a biblical word for it, and it is the word behold. We don't use that too much. So let me just kind of pause there and think about what it means to behold somebody. Have you ever beheld somebody? I have. In, in true, this is a true story. Uh, the, the, time, the first time I saw my wife, Kentucky Wesleyan College, 1995. I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, we were going to, to the cafeteria, which was upstairs, these sort of sweeping staircase, and she was at the top of the staircase, and the light was shine, from the windows was shining behind her, and there, the sound that you heard was, and I beheld her. Um, I don't think she ever beheld me, actually. Uh, it didn't work the same. Of course she did. Of course she did. Uh, we do this too. Uh, think of another time we, we, we behold someone. Uh, when we do a, a baptism, especially in our tradition when we make commitments to infants and their families and we do infant baptism, and we, um, we will hold them up and we'll, we commit to praying for them. And there's a moment in most infant baptisms where we do you know, hold them up to the congregation. We behold the child. Uh, there's a dad in our congregation who sends me a picture of that moment with his son on the, aber- uh, the, um, the anniversary of his baptism every year where I'm holding him up. And also, th- beside that, the picture of Simba being, <laughs> whatever. Uh, behold the child, right? I think we do this well. We behold people at funerals if we do a funeral right. And the thing that I hear uh, from people when we ever, whenever we honor someone well in a funeral, funeral is that's what it should be. And it's kind of hard to describe, but there have been many times in a funeral where, like, it feels like revival is going to break out. The last funeral I did, uh, Tom Dotson, as we told the story of his faithfulness, of God's work, and, and try to sum that up in a life. And, I mean, it is just like you're beholding something. And I think that's the point. Jesus didn't just see a tax collector, he beheld someone. And in that different way of seeing, the rest of the story unfolds. He saw it playing out differently because of how he he saw the man to begin with. And that is the call of the church in every time and place, to be a community of beholding people who are, who are seen by Jesus, who then see each other differently because of that, to behold one another. We create an environment where, that we do that. And, and in other words, we can't just create this little attractional thing where we come and put on a good show and have a good song and a halfway decent sermon and a great children's program. We can't come in and just understand our role as to be receivers of that. No, we create a community that is contagious in that. Like, that when you go from this place, now you see people differently because of how you've been seen. And that's the thing we're doing here. That's what we mean by a contagious community of hospitality. 
welcomed people, welcomed people, radically welcomed people, radically welcomed people. And without the radical thing, none of the rest of it makes sense. Now, you have to think that the religious leaders are going to raise their hand at this point uh, in the story of, uh, uh, you know, that we read and say, well, but don't the tax collectors need to change? Like, robbing people is bad. Being greedy is bad. And isn't that their hang-up? Like, hey, Jesus, uh, but when does the thing get fixed? And again, Jesus says, this is how. (laughs) This is how it gets fixed. This is how it gets resolved. This is how the world changed. Not by taking a step back, by taking a big step forward. And that's our call. The radical welcome of Jesus is the easiest thing in the world to get watered down. This is why we got to keep holding it up. This is where it starts. Because without this, none of the rest of it makes sense. Nothing else changes. The church asks us to radically reorder our relationships, starting in the way we see each other. How do you do that? How do we as normal people do that? Practically speaking, what does it look like? In other words, Adam, you're saying, what do you want us to do? I'm glad you asked because I have three thoughts. The first is this. See people without the categories. It is easy to put people in a camp. This is you. This is me. You're red. You're blue. Some people are purple. I don't even know what that means. We, we, we like our categories. Do you know why? Because it lets us off the hook from the radical part. If I can put you in a category and consider you other then it somehow psychologically lets us off the hook. And I think that's why Jesus went right up into the middle of it and said, no, that's not what we're doing here. It can't be that. Those categories are the problem. I think Jesus would reject the categories altogether. Sometimes we think, well, it's because you're, you're progressive or because you're conservative. And I think Jesus would say, I think you need to lose the titles and go to lunch. One of my uh, conversations around the church's struggle in the last uh, seven or eight years was with a bishop talking about his effort to have conversation with um, the church's split over human sexuality. And the bishop said, um, this is our former bishop in Kentucky, he said, I was working with both groups trying to get them to kind of talk to each other and we held this meeting. And these are people who are kind of nationally known on one side or the other and we've used those, those conservative and progressive titles. And um, we got, we, we held the meeting and the, 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 we sort of made some assumptions. And the biggest assumption was that these people knew each other. That in fact, they didn't know each other. They didn't even know what the other people looked like. There were people introducing themselves who had been going at each other in the public forum and writing blogs to each other who didn't even know the other person, wouldn't have known them on the street. And so literally what he said was, we realized we needed to take a step back. And the first thing we needed to do was everybody go to lunch. It doesn't seem like that radical a thing, but that's what Jesus got in trouble for, and it's so easy not to do. I think we also need to see people beyond the transaction. We put people in categories, but we also kind of make our relationships transactional, like we, we fail to see each other because we're just going about our agenda and going about our day. Jesus could have easily gone past Levi and not seen him, not beheld him, but that, that opportunity that ability is what set Jesus apart. Stanley Howard Wass 
said this, the very genius of our society is to forge a political and social existence that does not have to depend on trusting others in matters important for our survival. But the ironic thing is that the further we go into that, the more we realize we need each other. We pretend like we don't need God and we don't need each other, but the truth is we should ask, how is that working for us? We desperately need, need each other. And I think one of the, the, the simplest things that every one of us could do going out from this place is just to rehumanize a transactional relationship. This means looking the person across the counter in the eye and finding our own humanness. It means smiling at the people in the line at the grocery store rather than griping that the line is long and they need to move faster, which is what I do often. It means not cussing on people at Scottsville Road, at least not as much. Looks like getting to know our neighbors and on and on and on and on. Think about how many of our relationships are just simply transactional. We go about our day without knowing the people right around us. Finds like, it looks like finding a way to get to know your waiter at lunch today. Well, of course, we're going to have a taco bar right after church and we want you to stay. So at some point. Recently, Pastor Laura and Wendell Van Valen and I went to Cracker Barrel. We were talking about upcoming a sermon series that day, and we went to breakfast, and we were talking and joking with our waitress. Now, I need to back up and tell you that something profoundly different has happened in my life uh, through my doctoral program. I go once a year for a week to Iowa uh, to study, and I'm two years into that, so I've gone twice, and I've got one more of those, and then a dissertation if that ever happens. Uh, through a lot of reading and a lot of theological digging, the most profound thing that has happened in my doctoral program is what happened after we left class. And it happened the, the Friday of that first year, the end of the week, we had developed this sense of community in our group, and our professor had been praying for that to be a contagious thing. We didn't know it. And we went to the brewery. It's sort of like four pastors walk into a bar, right? Uh, we went to the brewery, and, and I cannot describe what happened. It wasn't like there was any intention. It wasn't like there was an agenda. We just started talking to the people beside us and getting to know our waitress. And before I knew it, like one of the pastors is over here praying with the waitress and we're talking like in-depth faith conversations with this guy over here. And he says at the end of the night, that was the closest thing to church I've ever experienced. And that's what we all felt. It was the same for all of us at the brewery. By the way, the model of that place is unapologetically individualistic. How's that working for us? Um, so we went back, came back to school this year in May and said, you know, that was a pretty cool thing, but we're not going to, like, try to recreate the experience. And guess what? Monday night it happened again. And Tuesday night it happened again. And Wednesday night it happened again. And Thursday night it happened again. And Friday night it happened again. I was talking to my friend Mike. He went back to visit our professor a month ago, and, he, and, and one of the people that we got to know met him there and they caught up and, and prayed together there in the brewery. So fast forward now, uh, Cracker Barrel, a couple months ago, I'm thinking, this is, this is something that can happen. And I just asked the waitress a question. She started teasing with us. And then she, um, she kind of came at me hard. She kind of was like, oh, you want to tease? So um, she, she came at me hard. And I said, I said in response, well, there goes your tip. Which, of course, I didn't mean. And then I said this. Actually, we all work at a church, and the idea that you are radically loved by God and that we're going to be crappy tippers just doesn't go together. <laughs> so now I'm going to have to tip you more. <laughs> she said, good, keep it coming. <laughs> and then she said, well, that, that, 
That's funny because Sunday morning, Sunday brunch, Sunday lunch, uh, those are the worst. The worst tippers and the biggest complainers. And I think that's because we don't see people the way Jesus did. Somehow we can sit in church and talk, talk about and sing about how much God loves us and somehow we've made our relationships transactional and we need to repent of that. We need to get Jesus' heart for people. Uh, and that was something that I'm not, I'm not super good at, if I'm honest. I'm a little more uh, conflict-averse and a little more reserved. I'm, and yet God's doing that work in me. Because the next thing that that waitress said at Cracker Barrel is this. She said, by the way, I'm mad at God. And I said, tell me more about that. And she said, my brother was killed tragically seven months ago. And there's no way to make sense of something like that. And I said, you're right. And it just, you know, God did something there. It was more than Uncle Herschel's breakfast at Cracker Barrel. And we just need to remember that. And then there's the margins thing. We need to see the people on the margins. And it would be so much easier if the church could just avoid this part of the story. But what we see in the call of Levi is that Jesus went to the very person who we should say, yeah, they probably should be excluded. And he said, no, not even them. We've got to go to the margins. We've got to see people because that is how the whole thing becomes whole again. In fact, it, 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 it disrupts us so much that we, we have trouble grabbing hold of that. I preached uh, at Greenwood several years, 15 years ago. And at the, in the message, at some point I said, you know, we've got to create a place where young people will come to church. That was the whole point. Um, and at the end of the message, a, a couple... A middle-aged couple came out and said, well, I guess this church isn't for us then. If it's just going to be a church for young people. And ironically, they were the parents of a couple that has become part of the Greenwood Camp as a younger couple. Uh, they were the middle-aged parents, but they heard in that message that if we're going to include those people, then that excludes us. And I just need to remind us that that is the, the powers and principalities trying to keep us stuck trying to push against the radical nature of the call of Jesus to people, there is enough grace to include everybody. And that's the point. There is enough grace to include everybody. And that's the beautiful, wonderful, amazing point. And if that's not pushing against us a little bit, then we're not doing it right. And so let me close with this. This is from Richard Rohr and a little piece that is called The Sin of Exclusion. He says this, Those at the edge of any system are, and those excluded by any system ironically and invariably hold the secret of the conversion and the wholeness of that group. We see, therefore, why the church was went to, meant to be that group that constantly went to the edges, to the last of the brothers and sisters, and even to the enemy. Therefore, when any church defines itself by exclusion of anybody, it's always wrong. It's avoiding its only vocation, which is to be Christ. The only groups that Jesus seriously critiques are those who include themselves and exclude others. Only as the people of God receive the stranger and the sinner and the immigrant, those who don't play our game our way, do we discover not only the hidden, feared, and hated parts of our own souls but also the fullness of Jesus himself. We need them for our own conversion. 
And the church is always converted when the outcasts are reinvited in back into the temple. And we see this in Jesus' common action of sending marginalized people that he has healed back into the village, back to their family, back to the temple to show themselves to the priests. It's not just for their re-inclusion and acceptance. It's actually for the group itself to be renewed. And so may that happen among us as we, as those who are radically welcomed, radically welcome. And I don't know what that looks like, but here's what I've experienced at Cracker Barrel and at unapologetically individualistic breweries in Iowa and other places. That it happens by the work of the Spirit that's beyond just our intention, that in fact, all we have to do is see. All we have to do is behold one another. And all of the other things begin to fall into place. And I hope that will happen among us, that in fact that might be turned loose among us as a contagious community of hospitality where all people are welcome. And if that happens, people, get ready. Get ready. Because that'll be something. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for first and foremost that you have taken such bold steps to invite us in. And we marvel at that in these moments. We feel that in the depths of our own souls. So much so that the only response is one of gratitude. And as we have sung and prayed this morning, every bit of shame and every lie that has held us kept us hostage from that radical message of inclusion for me. We speak against that. We claim this story of Jesus for ourselves. We also claim it for others. And it is the hope in which we gather that this community of radical welcome would be something that we experience and that it would go beyond anything we ask or imagine. So help us to see people beyond the categories, just as Jesus did. Help us to reject those titles and behold the person. God, help us to see people beyond the transactions of our day in the everyday little encounters. May we find opportunities for connection, for rehumanization for incarnation. And God, help us as a church to see the people on the margins, the people that get excluded, the people that get pushed off and forgotten. May we be part of the beautiful message of Jesus that that they are included and that they are remembered. And may that teach us something about the gospel as we are invited into this thing by the sheer grace of Jesus Christ in the power of his spirit in whose name we pray. Amen.